All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. It pains me to say it, Mike, but once again, Canada reigns supreme at the Olympic Games. The Canadian women knocking off the Americans last night in the gold medal game. A lot to talk about. Mike, how you doing? Are you feeling like you had a gold medal performance or do you have one in you today? I, I, I have had a lot of coffee. I'll put it that way. Stay up late trying to watch some hockey and then up early in the morning to help coach and evaluate the St. Louis Blues Warriors. I tell you what, it's it's been nonstop. Man, I think this afternoon I'm going for a nap. But a hockey world never sleeps for us, Frank. Let's get it going today. Yeah, we're in trade deadline season. I, as much as I'd love to catch a nap after being up till 2 in the morning watching that game last night, I don't know, I just can't, can't put the phone away for that long, especially uh, with four plus weeks to go until the deadline. Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's drop the puck with this. Have to talk about the gold medal game. And Mike, I got to tell you, for as many times as these two teams get together with all the marbles at stake it, in the gold medal game at the Olympics, this one just felt a little bit different. Don't want to say that the game was disappointing by any stretch of the imagination. This, this rivalry almost never disappoints, and it got interesting there in the last few minutes. But this felt like a Canadian team that was in complete and total control throughout the entire gold medal game. It didn't feel like there was ever really any point where the U.S. had an opening or a chance to really make a run at this. Again, the for the second time in this tournament, Team USA heavily outshoots Team Canada, but it, at the end, it just comes down to quality, and the Canadian team had that in spades. You know, the game between the U.S. and Canada in round robin, I thought was much closer than this gold medal matchup. When I watched the earlier game, I thought, man, Debian was really good for Canada. She was able to keep them in that game and pull it out for the victory in the round robin. And then this one, 
a lot of those shots are to the outside. And it's something that Sarah Nurse, a member of Team Canada, said was, hey, we got the best goalie in the world. If we keep everything to the outside, we know we're going to be fine. And you could see that as they packed the middle. And I love the work ethic of Team Canada, especially in the last minute, two minutes with the goaltender pulled from the U.S. team. Yes, the U.S. team scored during that time with about 12 seconds left. But man, the women laying out, blocking shots, packing the middle. And it just felt like you said that they were in control for most of that game. When Poulin gets the puck on her stick, when she when she creates the turnover to score her first goal of the game and make it 2 nothing, it just felt like, man, this team's on a mission. And they've been playing together for so long now, and they were still looking to avenge that loss in South Korea from four years ago. From the American standpoint, Frank, man, I'm bummed. But it was still really good to see women's hockey played out on such a massive stage. For me, the highlight of the Olympics and for it to end up being a close game at the end. I love that the U.S. was able to come back and make it tight and at least make it within a goal at the end. Yeah, and let's put this Canadian victory in proper perspective. This is one of the best Canadian Olympic hockey teams, period, full stop, men or women. I mean, that's how dominant this group was from start to finish. You look at just the scoring table alone and you see Sarah Nurse setting a new Olympic record uh, with 18 points in a single tournament. Marie Philip Poulin. I mean, so much to unpack and talk about with her. Uh, you, the top five scorers in the tournament, uh, very few goals allowed. Just a, an impressive, impressive tournament from start to finish for a team that, as you said, was on a mission. So let's talk about Captain Clutch and Marie Philip Poulin. The numbers are absolutely staggering when you look at them. She is the only player, man or woman, in Olympic hockey history to score in four different gold medal games. She's played in four of them, seven goals scored. So that's seven of the last 10 goals that Team Canada has scored in an Olympic gold medal game belong to Marie Philip Poulin. I was absolutely shocked. I tweeted this yesterday. I sent a message to Tyler our, on our, our daily bets guy saying, hey, can you believe that Marie-Philippe Poulin is plus 250 to get a goal in this game? It, it's like you could, you could set a clock to it. It's automatic how clutch she is. And she will go down the, not only as, as one of the greatest ever to play, she's one of the best hockey players on the planet. So I think, Mike, when you, you talk about a takeaway from this as Marie-Philippe Poulin has cemented herself as a surefire Hockey Hall of Famer, is I hope that this conversation can continue going. I mean, that's really what is the takeaway from Beijing. You see the the opportunity uh, that women have gotten on the incredible stage. People are paying attention. People are watching. We can't go another four years before we're having this conversation again. You know, in some ways, the women's game needs to come together and, and get out of their own way in this sense that they need one professional league moving forward to really put this sport on the map where it belongs in North America. Yeah, they need somebody to, they need a figurehead to make this happen and they need the dollars to go along with it. And it, to me, it just depends on NHL teams buying it. I think that's the way that they can do it, but the NHL doesn't ha seem to have the appetite. They want to say, hey, we love what the what the women can do. We love bringing the women to the skills comp. We love showing off their ability, but you need that money. You need to start a league that's going to be able to be self-sustaining, that's not just generated and not just based on money going towards them. It needs to go in perpetuity so that they can show off the product. I want to watch Marie-Philippe Poulin 
all day long. Debian, same way. This is good hockey. It needs exposure. It needs the dollars to get it going. Well, I think the NHL is ready and willing to step in. Gary Bettman, the commissioner, has hinted at that, but he's not going to get in the middle of what's clearly a a, a tug of war between two different entities that are just, as you said, warring factions. So, um, you know, they need to come together as as a sport uh, for the betterment of the game in order to put it in a spotlight that I think we all know that it deserves. So, World Juniors, some more international hockey news today. Sort of buried at the bottom of a press release from the double IHF, President Luke Tardif saying that the World Juniors are slated to be played in Alberta in mid-August after the Holinka Gretzky Cup is awarded. John Dreger reporting today from TSN that the dates look like something like August 8th to 19th. Some news and notes for you that the previous games that were played in December, those results will be wiped. So poor Connor Bedard, the youngest Canadian ever to uh, to score a hat-trick, uh, toppling Wayne Gretzky's mark, that's suddenly gone, never happened. And not only that, but teams have the ability to pick new rosters. So uh, you could see some new players. You could also see teams put in a position where, hey, an Owen Power, who is expected to be a big contributor for the Buffalo Sabres or Jake Sanderson, same thing with the Ottawa Senators. Those guys may not participate. We'll see what happens there. But that's the plan for the World Juniors. And oh, by the way, some women's hockey news. The under-18 Women's World Championship that was canceled instead of postponed, that's likely to be played in June in, as Tardif said, somewhere in the north of the USA. I think we all kind of have our sights set on Minnesota for that. We'll see what ends up happening there. But Mike, how do you feel about a World Juniors being played in August? It's such a different dynamic than what we usually see midway through a season where it factors so heavy into the draft. And that's not what's going to be seen if this tournament is played in August. It's going to turn out being who's ready for the NHL in a month when NHL training camps open up. Because if you're done mid-June, late, or sorry, mid-August, late August, you're showing up for training camp as a rookie, usually by the beginning of September. You have a development camp before, then you go to regular camp and you train there. It's going to be a long summer for these young players. But to me, that's the interesting aspect. You know, with those rosters being different, maybe you build it in a different way that you are showcasing some of these players that could make NHL rosters that could make a difference right away. And I think the IIHF has to learn from this. They've got to book this tournament and book the hotels where there's not weddings. Okay. Make this thing happen. Okay. We don't know what this COVID deal is going to look like then. It canceled everything in December and January. Make this thing airtight. This has to happen this time. It can't. It has to, Frank. Like they have to learn from the past with it, but I'm really curious to see how it plays out for for the players that are right on that cusp of going to NHL training camp. Yeah, I'm all for a Christmas in July party. I just don't know if you know this really makes sense in August. It's going to feel different, look different. And to your point about the rules and regulations, given the differences in protocols and and laws between Canada, the U.S., and and really a lot of other countries in the world, what makes the IHF think that Canada deserves to host this tournament again for a third consecutive time in Edmonton or Alberta? You know, I, I don't uh, you know count me among the skeptics in terms of. You know, you need to put different regulations in place. You, you know, it can't be we can't be testing asymptomatic players or people anymore. Hopefully by then uh, the world will have changed even more significantly than it has in the last month or so already. So, Mike, let's talk about uh, it was such a fascinating night in hockey in general. So many things happening. 
you caught a bit of the Vegas Golden Knights game as they faced off against the Colorado Avalanche on national TV. And it was Jack Eichel making his Vegas debut. Take a listen in to what it was like inside T-Mobile Arena as the roof nearly blew off with Jack Eichel's introduction to the Golden Knights. Everything that you'd expect, it feels like it gave the Golden Knights and their fan base a bit of a shot in the arm this season and what's been a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, Jack Eichel plays just over 17 minutes, maybe a little bit more than I had expected for a player who played his first NHL game in 347 days, nearly a calendar year. What did you think of Eichel in his first look in a Golden Knights uniform? Well, I mean, he, he ended up on the score sheet, Frank. He took two penalties. He was dash one and he had a shot on goal, uh, which when you're going up against the Colorado Avalanche and especially as the top line centerman for the Golden Knights, you're going to face the McKinnon line pretty often. So that's a tough matchup to start the game. But I want to circle back to that sound inside T-Mobile. I've seen a lot of games there this season alone. That was only second to the sound that happened when Mark Andre Fleury came back with the Chicago Blackhawks. The building was full. There's been a lot of empty seats in T-Mobile. They've been sold, but people haven't showed up this year for some of these games. It looked full last night. It was loud as can be. And I think Eichel really looked like someone who'd missed time off at moments. Okay, that Even the, the interference penalty, the high sticking, those are the types of things that happen when you're not mentally as into it as you've been when you're normally in the rhythm. But I did like Eichel on the power play. He was playing his off-wing uh, along the half wall, the Golden Knights needed a distributor there. He made some nice seam passes that he did very quickly. They need that. They need somebody who thinks the game at a very fast pace. And to me, that's what Eichel does so well. The puck gets on and off his stick. He thinks ahead very well. Encouraging, but Vegas didn't score in the power play. They only generated two shots. A work in progress there for sure, but Eichel gives it hope. Yeah, they didn't score at all being shut out by the Colorado Avalanche by a 2-0 margin. Does Eichel just need time? How long is it going to take, you think, for him to fully feel comfortable? He needs time, and he needs Mark Stone on his right side. He played with Max Pacioretty last night. They look dynamic. I don't think Dodonov is the answer on the right side for that line. I'm not sure who is at this point. It needs to be Mark Stone, and we don't know when Mark Stone's coming back from his long-term IR. Well, it's definitely not going to be Stone, at least for a little while, because he's on LTIR, must miss at least 10 games or 24 days retroactive to last week. We'll see what the Golden Knights do with their cap. In the meantime, let's get to some news and nuggets from around the league with icebreakers. We're going to dive into our trade targets list delivered by DoorDash. Frank, I know one of your favorite pastimes is riling up the good people of Vancouver and Brock <laughs> Besser. Come on down because you are now number six on Frank Saravalli's trade list and trade targets. Brock Besser has a $7.5 million qualifying offer coming his way. Does that fit within the Canucks future plans? 
I don't think it does. Uh, and I think that's really the long and short of why he ends up on this list. I mean, you look at the season that he's had and no one has really gotten a bigger bump from Bruce Boudreaux being on the bench than Brock Besser. 10 goals in 21 games since Boudreaux took over. And, you know, it's been interesting to watch him be rejuvenated just because Boudreaux came in and you remember his press conference. That was one of the first people or players that he targeted saying, we're going to get this guy turned around and they've done it. But the question is, how are the Canucks going to clear salary cap space moving forward? You don't have to read very far between the lines of Jim Rutherford and his comments over the last number of weeks and or months since taking over. That's his top priority. His top goal is to create some space and some flexibility moving forward. If you're uncertain about Brock Besser and his play, which I think it's fair to say that the Canucks have been given his somewhat limited contributions in the sense that he scores and when he scores, that's great. But if not, what else are the Canucks getting out of Brock Besser and his game? Well, the fact that he's due a $7.5 million qualifying offer this summer and he's arbitration eligible really puts the Canucks in a spot where they better be willing to pony up uh, and, and pay Brock Besser. And I'm not certain or sold that they are. I don't think they're certain or sold that they are. And when you look at JT Miller, and if you're, if you're, it's probably unfair to compare the two. They're in the same lineup now. But if you look at your situation moving forward on your cap, Mike, and you've got JT Miller at five and a quarter for next season, and you have that cost certainty, and you probably want to keep one of these players and trade the other. Do you value Miller more and, and the total and complete package of his game and all that he brings at five and a quarter or Besser at 7.5? I don't think it's much of a debate there. I think the, you know, not trying to rile up the Canucks fan base because it's easy to do, but I think that they would mostly agree as well. So um, that's sort of the, the proposition that the Canucks are, are staring down and they've been engaged in conversation with multiple teams about Brock Besser. We'll see where this goes. I think at this point, given the conversation around Besser, that it seems more likely that Besser is on the move than Miller. It is possible, I guess, that they move both, but I doubt it. Seems like it's a pretty safe bet at this point with the Chicago Blackhawks. They're not going to make playoffs. They're going to be in sell mode. And number four on your list is Brandon Hagel, 23-year-old winger. He can skate, plays with some grit, has scoring touch. Are teams knocking down the door for his services towards the trade deadline? They are, but what they found is that the asking price is quite high. And understandably so, given that Brandon Hagel has been incredibly productive for the Hawks. You look at his season 14 goals, and teams are absolutely salivating over his contract. Mm -hmm. $1.5 million for each of the next two seasons for a guy that's 23. And so when you look at it, you say, well, why would the Chicago Blackhawks entertain moving Brandon Hagel if that's the case? And I think we should put in parentheses a little caveat here, Mike, in that we also don't know who's going to be the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks moving forward. So that's certainly going to be part of the conversation. What does that person, whenever they're hired, think of Brandon Hagel and his fit moving forward? I can only tell you that the number of teams that have been engaged in contact with the Chicago Blackhawks over the last number of weeks uh, over Hagel and his availability have been significant. And a couple teams, the Calgary Flames, for instance, were a team that went deep on Brandon Hagel. They end up you know, transitioning and, and targeting Tyler Toffoli, uh, but the Toronto Maple Leafs have been in the mix. The New Jersey Devils, um, there are certainly others that have been in conversation. I listed them in the story on dailyfaceoff.com. 
the Hawks are looking for a first round pick and a top flight prospect, um, you know, potentially maybe even more than that. So the interest is definitely there. We'll see if the Hawks pull the trigger. But the sense is that if they get the price that they're looking for, that they will move on from Hagel and his fantastic contract. You've got a couple goaltenders on your trade target board. Marc-Andre Fleury's first on the list, but shortly after him is Alexander Georgiev of the New York Rangers. He's previously stated that he really wants to have an opportunity at being a number one in the league that's not going to be easy on Broadway with Igor Shosturkin there sharing the crease with him. What would it take to pry Georgiev out of the Big Apple? A lot. I mean, that's the other part of it is, you know, it's not easy the spot that Georgiev is in, but it's also not easy the spot that the Rangers are in because, yes, Shesterkin has been unbelievable this season. You know, some would say that he is the front runner for the Vezina Trophy at this point. But when you look at Shesterkin and the year that he's had, you know, and, and just the, the position in general, teams want insurance. They want to know that they can turn to someone in a time of need if by injury or if their game somehow falters. And Georgiev is a great insurance piece, a great backup, uh, and fits perfectly with what the Rangers are doing. But at the same time, he's also probably so good that he's an expensive luxury that maybe the Rangers can't necessarily afford, not in terms of cap hit, but at least in terms of the interest that's out there. The Rangers... You know, in in part of that conversation, would also be looking for a backup goalie that they could trust and feel comfortable in. Uh, in addition, if they're going to move Alexander Georgiev, there are teams calling. We mentioned the Vegas Golden Knights in our report earlier this week about Mark Andre Fleury. Um, you know, I, I think it's a 50-50 question at this point as to whether Georgiev is on the move, and if it's not now then it's going to be in the offseason. And I think the same thing with uh, Junis Corposalo as well in Columbus. As a pending unrestricted free agent, I have a very hard time believing that Corposalo ends up uh, on the Columbus Blue Jackets past the March 21st deadline. I, I don't know why they would let him walk for nothing. So keep an eye on Corposalo, keep an eye on Georgiev, and of course, uh, keep an eye on Marc-Andre Fleury as well. Great job, great job as always, Frank. Icebreaker is always my favorite time of the week. and. Of course, delivered by DoorDash. You look right below us here. You can see that promo code DFODD or DFODDUS if you're in the United States. It's going to get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order. Great job, Frank. All right, Mike, it's time for our daily face-off show inbox question of the day. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO. We'd be happy to take your questions. Mike, my question to you is, with John Hines fined $25,000 today by the NHL for his uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, I guess you could call it, or inappropriate conduct, we believe this is the video that we saw on social media that earned him this fine. Rod Brindamore and Rick Bonus have also been fined $25,000 each this season for a grand total of $75,000 between the three coaches. These coaches all received a warning first before reaching the fine point. My question to you is, why is the NHL doing this? Is this necessary? I don't think it is. And I think at that dollar figure, it's it's a lot, man. Like 25 Gs is it's a pretty big chunk of change. And it's a lot different than players who maximum fine is 
just over $5,000. I think if you can go spear a guy and you get fined five grand, like if you're a coach and you say some bad words to an official, that's 25. Like the officials are all strong enough to take this. And I, and I think that there's obviously a line. You don't want to cross a line, but I'm not sure it's a great look that, that coaches are getting fined 25 grand for being passionate. And when I watch Brindamore, when I watch bonus, especially those were passionate moments. And I, I just have a hard time with that when they're doing their best they can to stand up for their team. You look at the Brindamore fine here. Like I, I tweeted this video back in November when it happened. Like I understand the need for the NHL to a want to protect its officials and B want to set a good example for young players or, or fans that might be watching but this ain't squirt hockey. Like this is the no. NHL and this is the big boys. And first off, the refs can take it. And second, uh, if you want your coaches to not act that way, the refs should be better. And third, like I, I, there's nothing that they're crossing the line for. As you said, they're just passionate. Like, that, you know, are there some ex expletives potentially put into those uh, comments? I'm sure there are, but it's nothing that you wouldn't see abnormally uh, in a professional sporting venue in conversation between uh, head coach and officials. Like it, it happens all the time and it happens expletives go the other way, as you'd know from conversations on the ice from officials to players and their coaches. So, you know, to me, I think the NHL is, is, is way overboard on these fines. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously the coaches would agree, but I just, I don't see any need to, um, you know, to step in and feel like you need to hammer your coaches who are just trying to make a point. And also they want to win. They get, they're not caught up in the moment. They want to win. And the passion is there. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I agree. Embrace it, man. Like as long as it doesn't cross a personal boundary, if it doesn't cross anything else that we've deemed that are completely unacceptable in society, if somebody's passionate, if Rick Bonus bangs a stick on the glass, that's not hurting anything other than that piece of carbon fiber, Frank. Mm. Well said. Let's get to our daily face-off, daily bet segment. Tyler Uremchuk, how'd you do last night, bud? We're good. 2-0 and again last night, which means we're 5-1 and on the week. We got the Canada and the under parlay hit as well, which was a nice way to end the night or I suppose start the morning, depending on what time zone you're in. Uh, but tonight I am starting with an underdog. So let's head over to our friends at Pointsman. How about this? The Columbus Blue Jackets have paid out better on the money line this year than two playoff teams, actually three playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. They're the only non-playoff team to be plus money in the East if you were to bet them every game this year on the money line. They've paid out better than Washington, Boston, Toronto, and they've almost paid out as good as the Tampa Bay Lightning. They've been underdogs in almost every game, but... They're almost a 500 club tonight. They're dogs again. This line is shifting, though. I got it earlier this morning at plus 120. It's plus 110. Columbus has won five of their last seven games. Granted, those wins have been coming against some pretty weak opponents for the most part. But tonight they're playing a pretty weak opponent in the Chicago Blackhawks, who have just three wins in their last 10 games. They're also going with Arvid Soderblom between the pipes. And I really hope I'm saying that right. He's only played five periods in his NHL career and allowed seven goals in those five periods. So I think Columbus can keep going and keep winning tonight. I like them as underdogs on the money line on the road. And for my player prop tonight, I'm going out to the Rangers Red Wings matchup where Mika Zibanejad is minus 130 to pick up an assist. And I like this spot. He's hit this number in three of his last five games and six of his last 10. 
The Wings allowed seven goals earlier this week in their matchup against the Minnesota Wild. I think Zabinijad is that top line center can find a way to pick up an apple. He has a total of 11 in his last 10 games. I think he adds, adds one tonight. Zabinijad assist. Columbus on the money line. Those are my two plays, Frank. Yeah, Mika Zabanajad. I, I know who that is. Zabanajad. I don't know who Zabinajad is. Okay, good. Sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, just it's a, my Alberta accent. You yeah, guys, oh. grammar stickler. Um, anyway, moving on. It's now time for our garbage time segment. Mike, you are a wrestling fan, so that means that you were a fan of Bruce Boudreau and his comments yesterday. Absolutely. Uh, you know, okay. he was asked. Well, Bret Hart's number one. I'm going with all Canadians here. Uh, Kevin Owens is number two. Um, well, at least the first two were Canadian anyway. Uh, I, there was a guy when I was growing up named, I don't even know if it was his real name, his name Johnny Powers. He started the, the figure four, the first guy that I had saw that. And I liked him. But, uh, you know, I mean, who didn't like uh, Steve Austin? Uh, and The Rock. I mean, they were characters. They were great storytellers. And I think uh, the storylines were so good back then that they made it very interesting to watch. I love it, man. Like, there, there's so much to that. There's a lot of history involved with it. I mean, Frank, have you ever been put in a figure four leg lock before? Not that I know of. Yeah, I haven't either, but I can't be, it can't be fun, man. Like Boudreaux names people back from the seventies up until present day with Kevin Owens. I love it. And I'm going to give you my top five super quick in descending order. All right. Right now, Seth Rollins is my number five. Then I go to St. Louis's own Randy Orton. Love Randy, the Viper. RKO, devastating three letters in all of wrestling. The Undertaker, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and my all-time favorite wrestler, Frank. Are you ready for this? Short-lived run in the WWE, Papa Shango. They used to cut the lights when this guy'd come in. He'd be carrying around skulls that had mist and fire, and he'd put curses and voodoo. I'm, it was great theatrics, Frank, and I loved every second of it, and it's something that I bonded over with my grandpa, and now I bond over it with my two young daughters. Yes, they love wrestling. I love wrestling. And someday I hope that I can talk to Bruce Boudreaux about it because we've never had that opportunity. I think I've only heard of one of the people on your list, and that would be Macho Man Randy Savage. Our friend Rob Ross oh, has a great uh, Macho Man Randy Savage voice. I don't know. I, I, I was into wrestling as a kid, kind of like, you know, once I figured out that it was like, not real and scripted. I was like, what are we doing here? And I just kind of moved on probably like most people, but I understand, I guess, the theatrics and the drama of it. Can you give me a hell yeah? How about a couple beers? Like I could do the Austin 316 all day long, man. I just, it's just entertainment. It's stupid entertainment, dude. And I'm here for it. I love it. <laughs> love to see it. And hopefully our show today was stupid entertaining as well. Cause that's uh, all the time that we have for today's daily faceoff show. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis from around the national hockey league. We'll be back right here at 12 noon tomorrow until then have a great day, everyone. Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.